When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitzmorris. How are you doing? Whatever you're listening to this, whatever you're downloading it, really appreciate your support as ever. Thank you for joining us and all, of course, uh, the other Blood Red Umbrella uh, podcast as well, Ali Rouge and all the brilliant ones that they do the Echo. Uh, thank you so much. I am joined by Beth Lindop. How are you doing, Beth? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks, Fitzy. It's been a been a rough week, hasn't it, on a, in terms of transfers for, for Liverpool? So yeah, can't wait to get stuck into all of that. Yeah, and joining us in the discussion uh, will be Edward Kay. How are you, Ed? Yeah, all good, mate. I was just saying before, uh, it's been a while since I've been on. Uh, last time I was on, we were cruising to a Champions League final and about to maybe win the Premier League. So. Uh, It'd be good to uh, review what's happened since then. We need to get you on more, clearly, because uh, it seems to be uh, when we were successful. Yeah, I mean, a lot to be said, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, let's just talk about what's impacted us over the last week or so um, and, and the nonsense that's followed it, really. The whole Jude Bellingham thing, the whole idea that we need uh, a strong midfield player, uh, all the hype around him supposed to be joining. And then you get hit with this really weird... £84 million offer um, that is obviously immediately turned down because we all know that he was never going to, we were never going to get £84 million, uh, Jude Bellingham. And then deciding to to, to pull out um, because they don't want to get into a bit more. It all just seems a little bit better. It's annoying. I mean, even Klopp's come out and, and said it was never an issue. It was never on the table. I mean, it's, you know, what, uh, like like a five year old asking for the Ferrari for Christmas. I know it's I know it's not his first language, and I know he's trying to make a point, but it doesn't help, does it? I mean, this whole scene, the whole thing feels like a bit of a farce now, doesn't it? And and we're the victims of it really because any kind of hope we had that's generated by the media, of course, but wasn't denied at any stage by Liverpool. Liverpool always along the line where he's being monitored. You know, they chuck in a, a, a stupid bid and then decide that, uh, that that he's not worth the money. Uh, a lot of angry people last night I spoke to when I was out and about after the after going to the races and all saying the same thing, really. Uh, uh, frustration and anger at, at FSG and the fact that there doesn't seem to be any ambition, Beth. Yeah, it, it all seems a bit farcical, really, doesn't it? I mean, I think Liverpool's recruitment team have been lauded for so long and, and rightly so for a number of reasons when you look at some of the players that they've they brought in and you compare it to, to other clubs, the United and the Chelsea's who've spent ridiculous amounts of money for players who weren't much caught, really. So, you know, the, the recruitment team do deserve a lot of credit for what they've done under Jurgen Klopp. But I think sort of the last 12 months, we've we've seen the flip sides of that and things 
you know, obviously with with um, Michael Edwards leaving and Julian Ward now obviously leaving in the summer, it feels like everything behind the scenes is a little bit in in disarray, and and that's the worry. And the whole Jude Bellingham saga, you know, I'm 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 conflicted really. I'm sort of from a, from a pragmatic point of view, you can sort of begrudgingly acknowledge that. You know, if you've got 150 to 200 million to spend in a summer transfer window, it would perhaps be irresponsible to to splash that all on the one player when Liverpool's squad is is obviously in need of of major surgery. But on the other hand, it's it's so frustrating the way that this whole situation has has transpired, really. And Jude Bellingham, you know, Jurgen Klopp has made no secret of his admiration admiration for Jude Bellingham, and 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 Klopp's clever, you know, he, when he speaks about players in his press conference and and you know lords them, and it, he does it with good reason. And very often, you know, when he's spoken about Darwin Nunez in the past and Luis Diaz, players that he's greatly admired, they've turned out to sign for Liverpool. So actually, when when Jurgen was sort of peering over over Jude's performances at the World Cup, I think you know even he knew that that would have sort of sent a signal that actually Liverpool were were very much in for him. So as you say, that the the interest in him has been, I guess, sort of encouraged a little bit by the club in the way that they've they've handled things. And yeah, it is it is frustrating. Um, I think you know Liverpool obviously don't want to put all their eggs in one basket. We know what Liverpool's injury record is like, and if you if Brian Jude means that they can't buy anyone else, then, you know, Jude gets injured first day of the season and misses six months, then we're in exactly the same predicament, I suppose, as we're in now. But I think that there's been this sense with with Bellingham that that he was potentially like an Alisson figure or a Van Dijk figure, someone who could come in and have a really transformative impact on the squad and be a real catalyst for for a, a positive upturn in form and, and a bit of a statement, really, to the rest of the league that Liverpool aren't going to take this this sort of pretty dreary season lying down and they're determined to get back at, at Europe's top table and, and be competing for, for titles again. And I think the fact that they've obviously, you know, gone away from that now and are really distancing themselves from that. And it seems to be going for sort of cut price, uh, you know, midfielders. It is all a bit frustrating. And, and as you said, with, with Jürgen making that comment about the Ferrari, I mean, it, it's it's not surprising really the way he addressed that question. You know, he was always going to sort of try and take the heat off the owners a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's disappointing and unfair, I think, really on, on the fan base. It sort of, that comment suggested that it, it's almost like Liverpool's fan base are being like petulant children demanding sort of the shiniest new toy. But realistically, this is a player that has been targeted um, for more than it more than a year now, and you know the decision not to bring in a midfielder last summer, when it was glaringly obvious that we needed at least one or two midfield reinforcements, has obviously come back to bite them now. And yeah, it's it's all it's all a bit farcical, isn't it? And and all a bit of a mess. And you know you've got to hope that now that they they're going to get things right in the summer and bring in the right players. Yeah, and and then, and then you know Beth makes a point there about you know not want to you know put all your eggs in one basket price wise. But my first question would be to FSG is why are you, why do you think that you're at 200 to 250 million pounds is a fee that you, is a cap on a fee that you need to spend to fix the problems? I mean, Jude Bellingham is 19 years of age. You could have got 12 seasons out of that kid before he hits 25, before he hits his prime as a player. Um, and now surely business-wise, there's no hope of, Virtually no hope. We're 12 points behind Man United. There's virtually no hope of, of Champions League football next year. You're missing out on all that money. Financially, it doesn't make any sense. And financially, you're allowing Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita to walk out the door on freeze, both with a combined price, I think, of £97 million. I think 
I think Oxley Chamberlain was 40 and Naby was 57. Both players have, have been woefully inadequate, uh, particularly Naby Keita. You're letting them walk out and not getting a penny from them. Um, isn't it just false fat? Isn't it just false business? Isn't it just bad finance and, and, and bad management to to not buy the best players that will recoup that kind of money? Because <clears throat> he is a kind of transformative player. There's no doubt about that. And, and now they're talking about you know Mason Mountain uh, and, and players that uh, Conor Gallagher players that Liverpool don't necessarily need those type of players. They need a marauding midfielder and a holding midfielder. Um, and, and the rest of the things will, will fit into place. I think we've got a good squad other than that. And it just seems to me that if you spend 120 on him, you've still got, you should really be in a position as a business to be able to buy two or three players for 30, 40 million quid. And, and uh, uh, you know, these are, that's not, that's not cut price by any standards, but it just seems to me that they're going to stop the, the advance of a, of a, of a purchase of one player to buy two or three players that are nowhere near that good. It just, doesn't add up to me, Ed. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because you you look out there and there's just there there is no other midfielder out there really at the, at, at that age, especially who would fit into Liverpool's midfield so well. You know, you you mentioned Mason Mount and Conor Gallagher there, and I sort of wanted to go into Chelsea. You know, they're they're dishing out all these eight nine year contracts. They've just extended Enzo Fernandez's contract, and it's all to sort of you know spread the money about. Jude Bellingham's a player who you could genuinely give a 10-year contract. He'd be at Liverpool until he's 29 and he'd run the midfield for a decade. It's it's just it's just like I say, it's just such poor planning. They've they've left themselves in this situation by not going out and remedying the problem last summer and getting a midfielder in. They wanted Chuamani. He went to Real Madrid instead. Funnily enough, we're now being linked to him because he's been a bit of a Real Madrid reject, actually. But they wanted him. And when they didn't get him, you know, Klopp and Liverpool, they've had this sort of theory with transfers of we're going to get our man and if we don't get him we won't bother you know we saw them do it with Van Dyke. they got done a bit for tapping him up went away for a while didn't buy another centre-back came back in and got him and it seems like once they've identified a target that's who they decide they're going to get which is makes it all the more frustrating when they've clearly identified Jude Bellingham as a target you know Klopp's not really been shutting it down in press conferences he's spoken at length about how much he likes him as a player and they have sort of teased us really you know that that comment he made earlier in the press conference. I know it's not his first language, but it, it just doesn't look good in the cold light of day, saying no, it's like fans are being, like you say, basically accusing fans of being petulant children and asking for a Ferrari. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you've been asking for the Ferrari for three years and your parents have sort of been hinting that, oh, well, maybe maybe this could be the year. And then all of a sudden, two months before Christmas, they're like, actually, no, it's definitely not happening. And, you know, I mean, who knows? We, we got ruled out of Alisson. We got ruled out of Thiago. We might, for, for all we know, we could go and get him in the summer because you never really know with Liverpool's transfer strategy. But it just smacks of poor planning. The only reason that they're having to set aside all of their budget to go and get multiple players rather than this one generational player is because they've signed one midfielder since 2019, and that was Thiago. And when they signed him, he was 29 30. You know, they're just reaping the rewards of their own mistakes, really. Emotion on the Blood Red Channel, and also if you don't have to be a genius to work out that the last time they splashed out, they bought Allison and Van Dyke and transformed them into a, into a world-beaten football team. I mean, they won literally everything that you could win. So the prize money alone must have been huge, and that they only really dug out because obviously we got 142 million pounds for Casino. But it just seems to me this. 
you know, there's there's a thin line, isn't it, between shrewd business and cheap, and it just shows a, a, a huge lack of ambition. Liverpool are so off the pace now. When they were when they were well beaters, they were pushing City all the way. Could have had four titles, only you know lost two titles by one point. They were up there, they were pushing the bar, and it's just it, for me, it just from the owner's point of view, it just it just smacks of well, we're happy being, we're happy turning over a profit. Um, we're not really that interested in how successful the club is. It, it just it just smacks of that, really, doesn't it? And and even there are there are great players out there that, that don't cost a lot of money. They've just got to. They've just got to, to, to get better at the scouting system, certainly. But but there was so much to be done about a Jude Bellingham move. It was it was so much, and I even feel that Jude Bellingham feels like the rug's been pulled from under him because, you know, he's had the interview. He's been knocking about with Trent. He's had the interviews with Gerard. It's all been very lovey dovey, hasn't it? And all been very this is on the cards. And I just feel like they've done that thing which they did with Diaz Beth, where, where they they waited and waited, and then when the Portuguese club he was playing for were in a bit of financial strain, jumped in with a a bid that was 30 million quid less than that they wanted. And it's all that kind of, it's a bit cutthroat and that can, that can come and stab you in the back, can't you? And it, it feels very much like just bad management and, and just a little bit of rudeness and pomposity really, isn't it? And, and, uh, I, I, I'm the, 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 the fans are left just scratching their heads. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think sort of if you look at last summer, um, Jurgen Klopp was quite bullish actually during his his press conferences when he was often asked about you know are you going to bring a midfielder in and he was almost a bit like you know well, well, what you want I think he the phrase he used was like a, a golden cow or something like that who produces everything and and then he sort of had to eat his own words didn't he when we had that little bit of a midfield injury crisis toward the end of the window and he said you know you were right to all the to the journalists he said yeah we should have brought someone in and then they bring Arthur Mello in and you're almost thinking like, is this going to be some sort of weird stroke of genius and he's going to produce something that no one else has really seen and be this this absolute world beater? And actually it's proved that it was a bit of a, well, it was a disastrous transfer. He's played 30, 13 minutes of football. And I think when you look at decisions like that, it doesn't fill you with much hope, does it, for, for what they're going to be doing in the summer? And I think, as you say, it, it, there is a fine line between shrewd business and smart business. I think Klopp said the other week, you know, we will get better if we recruit smartly. But there's a, there's a fine line between that and, and doing things on the cheap. And, you know, it's all right saying we're not going to get a Ferrari, but if you replace the Ferrari with three Fiat Puntos second hand, and you're going to be in exactly the same position next year. And I, I think the, the one sort of, I guess, saving grace that makes me slightly hopeful, this might just be me being sort of clinging on to the Bellingham dream, but it, I think it just all seems a little bit weird the way the club have gone about it this week you know obviously reports of that that deal that the 84 million bids sorry going in and um, which have been refuted by you know other sources people who've said that that didn't happen but it seems very strange that, that that sort of noise seemed to be building around that bid and then very quickly it was shut down so vehemently by you know the likes of Paul Joyce from the Times and Chris Baskin who obviously have you know very sources who are very close to the club um, and it, it almost seems like the club have heard that and they're very, very keen to sort of allay all of that noise. And it, as you say, it's whether they, they're sort of thinking this is a bit of a negotiation tactic. Maybe um, Dortmund have said a figure that seems you know completely ridiculous and, and then sort of backing off in hopes that maybe the player might try and push for a move or the player might you know extend his, his time at Dortmund and get a release clause that's maybe more sort of 
favourable for Liverpool to go in next year. But it seems like the owners are, are sort of inviting the, the heat on themselves with the way that this whole situation has been handled. You know, it, it would have made more sense from, from their perspective, I guess, and from the club's perspective to sort of not come out with this big announcement you know, maybe put a bid in and then if they're outbid by Real Madrid or they're outbid by Manchester City or the player decides to go elsewhere for more money, then, you know, of course the fans would still be frustrated, but there'd be an element where there'd be frustration toward the player. Or I think they, they've now done exactly what fans feared they would do and they've invited plenty of criticism. So I think the way that they've handled it is, is slightly odd um, and it will be interesting to see whether... You know, if it gets towards sort of the later stages of the summer window and, and Bellingham's still at Dortmund, whether then they, they swoop in with a lower bid and, and Dortmund are keen to take that money. Um, I don't know. It's, it is a weird one, but it, it, I think the way that they've gone about it and the way that indeed they've, they've gone about the transfer business over the past 12 months or so, it doesn't fill you with much hope for the summer, does it? No, it doesn't. And it's almost dead as though. I mean, they've sort of just sacrificed the season, haven't they? Let's be honest with you. The board have just seems to have gone, well, let's just get this season. Let's just get this season out of the way and we'll start again. It do, you know, it doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, it's certainly not a fan's perspective, is it? Put it that way. It's an owner's perspective and it's it's one that we're all having to sort of cope with. And, and, and what we're faced with is a really inconsistent, unpredictable Liverpool team. I mean, the Arsenal game, the first half of the Arsenal game was... was was atrocious, wasn't it? It was it was two gifted goals um, by a, by a team that were just second to everything and 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 looked disorganised and disjointed. And then and it very much sums up Liverpool's season, doesn't it? The second half, they were there was that pep again, wasn't it? There was that there was that um, vigour, there was that you know intensity. That's the word we're all using. In it, it was suddenly back, and and I, I, there, there must be times when 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 Klopp's Thought I don't know what's going on here. No one would have could have foreseen Fabinho sort of forgetting how to play football, um, and and this tiredness come through the team. But when that came up, it's like it's frustrating, isn't it? Because it, it comes back in spells, and when it does, I mean Arsenal would Arsenal couldn't get hold of the ball the second half, and Arsenal have been tearing up the Premier League, uh, and then they were too busy falling over, rolling over, trying to store time, you know, f- faking eye injuries and. Head injuries from heading the ball, for God's sake. And they sort of looked a bit lost. And Liverpool seemed to be that strong presence again. So, there must be a frustrating aspect to it as well for, for Klopp, who's looking, thinking, you know, we are there at times. But it's just that stability that's been missing, mate. And will continue to be throughout the season because we're not, we haven't made the sufficient changes. It was such a weird one, wasn't it? I mean, it, it sounds like such a cliche, and it is. But that was the definition of a game of two halves. But with the second half starting about... 10 minutes left in the first half because after about the 40th minute we were pretty good to be fair after after like it was it was the the um the tipping point was that that Xhaka moment and I can't believe that Arsenal came and made the exact same mistake they made at Anfield last year because last year was when they'd been filming their um their Amazon Prime all or nothing documentary Arteta had been blasting you'll never walk alone out of speakers in training trying to get him used to the atmosphere because he was like, oh, Anfield this, Anfield that, you know, you'll never experience anything like it. And then he kicked off with Jurgen Klopp on the touchline when Anfield was absolutely silent. Uh, everybody got up for it and we, we battered him. And then they, just the exact same thing happened again. They, they, they don't seem to have learned the lessons. You know, that was my first game back at Anfield since I think the Napoli game in the group stages. And honestly, after about 
25 minutes, I thought about leaving because we, we were so bad. The atmosphere was absolutely dead. And it was like, what's the point? We're going to get battered here. But that happened. Everyone gets up for it. You know, An- Anfield gets a bit louder. And all of a sudden, they, they just couldn't, couldn't deal with us at all. And in the second half, how we've not won that game. I don't know why Canate has gone to try and chest that ball in rather than just kicking it. But um, we'll let him off because he actually had an unbelievable game. Um, I th- to be honest, I th- I th- one of the most interesting parts of that Arsenal game was obviously um, where Trent was playing. Because at the, at the start, um, Canate was having to fill in for him a fair bit at right back. And everyone was sort of a bit antsy about it in the ground. But once he started getting on the ball in those midfield positions, you know... There's nobody else who can do what he does in his position. There's only, like I always think him and Reese James are on a sort of a, a similar level in terms of young English fullbacks. But even Reese James can't, can't do what Trent does with that assist when he nutmegs Zinchenko and then digs the ball out when it's slightly sort of caught in his feet. Digs the ball out for Firmino at the back post was unbelievable. But yeah, it was it was just another frustrating game. And, and like you say, Klopp must just be thinking, what what can I do with them? Because if if Liverpool had started playing that much better immediately after the second half. He'd have gone, oh, Klopp's clearly got hold of them at half-time. Like he did plenty of times last season. They've come out and they've shown it in the second half. But they started five minutes, ten minutes before the end of the first half. So they just seem to have a switch that will go. And especially at home games, it seems like one of the crowd or the players have got to get one or the other going first. And it's sort of that, somebody described it on one of the pods earlier in the week, it's a bit like chicken and the egg who. Who does it first? Does somebody put in a big tackle or does the crowd sort of really get behind the, the players and get them going? But it's just trying to strike that balance at home. And yeah, like you say, it must be, be so frustrating for Klopp because it, it, there doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. No, there's always been that thing, hasn't there, where the, where the, where the fans will say, well, give us something to cheer about and... And the players are saying, "Well, cheer us, and, and it'll lift us up." I'm, I'm always, I'm always more a fan of the crowd doing it, uh, and not sitting waiting for something to happen because you, the crowd can make something happen. You know, it's it's one of them. I mean, you you're picking up your points on on, on Trent uh, uh, that I'd made, Beth. He was. It's not so much that he goes Roman, uh, but he goes. He's now going Roman into centre mid. He's going Roman to the edge of their box, and I don't mind that as long as. As long as he he makes a quicker effort to get back, but he because he's being told he's getting covered, he's jog, jogging back. And I think at one point Van Dijk gave a free kick away, and he was late in the challenge. It was right on. He shouldn't. Van Dijk should have been anywhere near that. Just that I think, Canate um, uh, got caught, and he had to go and cover. So you're getting players having to cover positions you don't want to be in. So that's a right away. There there needs to be a a a really savvy, really good right back. To, uh, to 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 go hot in the heels of Trent because he's got no cover, has he? And more importantly, got no one to take him off for. So he's. I mean, you can argue Gomez, but they're different players entirely. So that's another position Liverpool need to look at, Beth. Don't they? They need to get someone like a Timiscus who can come on for Robbo and pretty much do this a similar kind of thing, or someone who's going to stay right back and then let Trent experiment in midfield because that seems to be where he wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always been sort of of the mindset of when there's been this argument over the last few years about is Trent a right back, is he a midfielder? I've always thought, well, don't broke what, don't fix what's not broken. And, you know, what, with Trent at right back, Liverpool have won every major trophy available to them. And he, obviously he's had his defensive flaws, but I don't think they've ever been as bad as they have been this season. I think that's always been something that's been pinned on him and maybe exaggerated a little bit. I don't think 
before this season. I don't think he's ever been as bad defensively as people have made out. Um, and I think his his attacking attributes have made up for that. I think this season it's been a different story. I think he's left, you know, he's he's left the team vulnerable um, on, on one too many occasions. And as you say, players are then being dragged out of position to cover for him. So it does. It is interesting, and I think when you look at certainly how he plays against Arsenal and, and in a couple of other games, it's not just a case of him roaming forward or rambling forward aimlessly. He's obviously been told to go into that midfield position, um, and and that's interesting. And I think now, obviously, Liverpool, obviously, we we would love them to be in the Champions League, but it looks like top four is very much gone now. And you think it, actually these last sort of nine games have we got left? Eight or nine games? It'd be be interesting to see what Jurgen Klopp does and. I feel it feels like the perfect time really to experiment with putting him in midfield because what have we got to lose at the end of the day? You know, Joe Gomez, as you say, isn't really a conventional right back, but can do a solid enough job there. So you think for these last last games of the season, why not try Trent in midfield, see what he can do? And you know, if he impresses, then maybe that again changes Liverpool's thinking going into the summer because you spend, you know, 40, 50 million on a really good right back, and then you've got Trent as a midfielder. Do you know what I mean? So it it's a it's a strange one. I mean, I think Jürgen said in his press conference today that that's definitely something we'll be seeing more often, Trent playing a little bit further forward and, and going into that. But it can't just be that he does that when he decides that there needs to be a clear plan that whenever he ventures forward, there's someone to cover for him because um, that hasn't been the case this season. But Trent's range of passing and you know his ability to pick a pass and, and play that ball forward. I, I don't think any of our midfielders possess that ability really, apart from Thiago. Maybe and you know we can't rely on him really to be fit, sort of half of the time. So it seems like actually playing Trent further forwards could be a, a bit of an answer to to our midfield conundrum really. But it's whether the manager is, is too stubborn to sort of try that out. I don't know because I know he's obviously in the past been reluctant to to sort of cave in and, and play him further forward. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one with Trent and it'll be interesting to see sort of how often he ventured into that midfield for the rest of the season. Yeah, another odd one, Ed, is um, is um, Cavalio and, his, and, 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 and what has gone on with, 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 I don't know whether there's something behind the scenes there. I don't think, he doesn't seem to, um, he doesn't seem to be carrying any favour with, 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 with Klopp at all, does he? He's a, for me, I thought he was an exciting prospect. Uh, he's fast. He, he likes to press. He likes to run at players. He likes to force that press high. Um, didn't do, you know, scored against scored the, that last second winner, didn't he, against Newcastle. Seemed to be doing well, playing well. And he's just gone off the radar entirely. And to the point where you're looking and thinking, well, you know, he's not playing Naby Keita because um, he's pretty much done him. Arthur Mello hasn't got a chance. Um but you have got a young kid there now. Uh, uh, unless I missed something and he's and he's got an injury that I don't know about, there seems to be a problem there, doesn't it? Because when you know, I mean, Elliot, Elliot hasn't featured. He, he came on sub, I think, against uh, Arsenal, didn't he? But he didn't. He wasn't playing. I don't think was. He didn't start against Arsenal. I don't think. Um, so whether he's resting them or not, but Cavalio just seems to have, something seems to have happened there, mate, doesn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think. From from my point of view, anyway, I think a lot of that seems to come down to just positionally where he plays. He, he seems to me to be a number ten, and we we don't really play with a ten. And it, if we do play that sort of four two three one with somebody in behind the striker, you've got Jota, Firmino, who are both definitely going to play in there ahead of him. Gakpo probably as well now, he, he, and he just doesn't seem to be able to get any minutes. I saw something the other day suggesting maybe he might be destined for a loan next season, but. 
it, it just seems to be one where I'm not really sure why they've gone out and got him because it, it seemed like there's, there's a bit of hassle with getting him out of Fulham. I think they might have had to pay him some compensation or something like that. I'm sure I remember seeing that. And f- for all that hassle, I'm, I'm not really sure why they've got him in because Jurgen Klopp just does not to, seem to be bothered by him at all. You know, I think the last time we saw him, he came on for about a minute at the end of a game. I can't remember who we're playing against for the life of me, but he came on for about a minute at the end of a game and, and, and that was it. And that seems to be all he can really get at the moment. Like like you say, the only thing we've really seen of him this season is that that Newcastle winner. And that was that, that was a great moment. But other than that, you can't really think of too many things he's been involved with this season. And yeah, I don't know if he's if there's something going on there attitude-wise or if he's fallen foul of Jurgen Klopp or if, if it is just down to positional play. But hopefully, hopefully they can sort of find a way to worm him into that squad. Because like you say, he, he does seem like a talent. I think he's... I think his issue is he, he's just just a, probably a bit lightweight still at the moment, too lightweight to be playing as part of a midfield three, which Harvey Elliott has shown he can do. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think maybe just a bit of growth and development, and maybe maybe a loan next season is the right move for him, and, and we'll see. I think perhaps he was one of those things. Cavallo is a really young player, he's a young talent, isn't he? He's got a good future ahead of him. Don't know whether it was one of those signings where Klopp was in a position where he felt, well, we've got a great midfield, we've got a solid midfield. Um, and we'll just add a little bit of skill to it, a bit of Coutinho, a bit of something that can drop his shoulder and, and positionally find a pass as well. But of course, because that fantastic midfield has, has proved to be anything but, I think he's probably maybe in a position better where he's 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 frightened of taking chances. There's a confidence problem, isn't it? Let's be honest with you. You know, I had this argument with someone last night. You, you, you get these people going, how can you... How, I said this confidence, confidence. Salah misses two penalties. You know, it's confidence. He's he's not he's dropping his shoulder and finding forty yards into a stand. He, he's still scoring goals, but it's a confidence problem. The confidence is running right through the team. There isn't any at all. And he said to me, well, how, "How can you be confident? The money they're on—it's got nothing to do with how much money you're on or who you are. They're human beings, and and they 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 suffer confidence losses like anyone else does. The only bit I think that confuses me is that they suffer confidence losses off the back of 7-0 victories against that Man United, 9-0 victories against Bournemouth. And you think, well, we're a bit buggered if we don't get confidence after a 7-0 thrashing of Man United. And then It's like almost we're playing games now, Beth, where in that first half, Liverpool are fully expecting to concede. And that feeling, it's almost inevitable that they're going to concede. And of course they do, and they have been. They've been behind in so many games. Um you can't buy confidence, and if you could, we probably wouldn't be able to afford it. It's probably <laughs> thirty mil out of our price range. But they have to try and find a way. Don't need to pull themselves out of this because we're a couple of players short of a of a fantastic team. Gakpo, I think, has been playing really well. He's been doing as much as he can. He does a bit of the Bobby game, doesn't he? Holds the ball up. He's a little bit faster than Bobby. He's strong on the ball. They just feel it. Just feels to me like they. They're not fully executing the little flicks and the things they're doing probably so they're getting they're getting intercepted and it's just not right working. But how do you turn a confidence around, Beth, when even after big results, they don't seem to carry a forward? Well, I think that's the problem that, that Jurgen Klopp has been grappling with for, for most of the season. I mean, I don't think he could have foreseen the, the drop in confidence. And they, they all, every single player at times this season has all looked, have all looked completely shorn of confidence and... Yeah, it's frustrating and it's sad to watch as, as a fan because, you know, these players, one of the big hallmarks of this this side of the Jürgen Klopp has been the mentality, you know, the, the mentality monsters tag might sound a bit cliche, but it was true. You know, they never felt beaten in a game. You know, I said on the pod the other week, the, um, I was in the away end at the 
the Aston Villa um, in the title winning season when we were 1-0 down in the 87th minute and then Andy Robertson pops up with a goal, Sadio Mane wins it in stoppage time and it felt like results like that were, were pretty frequent even when Liverpool had a had a knockback, you know, they were straight back on the front foot and it felt like it was only a matter of time before they they scored and I think maybe that was something that the opposition felt too and there was almost this aura of invincibility about Liverpool which is, is well and truly been been obliterated this season and you know I, I do feel for these players because as a fan it, it, it's been absolutely galling at times in the last few years when you, you see how well they've played and how close they've come to um, to achieve incredible things you know the, the, nearly so close to a quadruple last season and then they've missed out by very very small margins and psychologically that must be be a huge blow and I, I do wonder how much last season physically and mentally has had an effect um, but it's whether a lot of these players now have sort of switched off have thought well you know we're not in in the mix for any of the biggest prizes this season and they've maybe just got one eye on getting to the end of the campaign and, and going again next summer um, but I think you know, as much as this feel that this team does need major surgery, especially in, in midfield, that second half against Arsenal proved that the core of this squad is still good enough to go toe to toe with anyone on the day. And um, you know, even even defensively, I think my favourite moment from that that Arsenal game was when Canate uh, went absolutely sliding in on Jacko, and it was that aggression we've just not seen that this season, and these players are capable of that. Um, you know, Van Dijk in the second half against Arsenal thought he was absolutely superb. First half, he was horrendous. So it, these players can do it. Um, it just it just feels like they, they almost just need a bit of a rocket, you know, to, to kick them into action. And, um, you know, I think Jude Bellingham coming in, if you look at, if you put him in that team, if they're playing in the way that they played in the second half against Arsenal, you've got a completely different side to what, to what you've seen this season, you know. So... I think just going back to that transfer, if you'd brought him in alongside, say, uh, I think Yuri Tielemans from Leicester, we've been linked with someone who we could have gone and got last summer for, for a pretty cheap fee as well. If you if you get a couple of players like that in and, and you start to build the team around him, then actually I don't think we're that far off. But yeah, it's it's a real conundrum, isn't it? Because who knows what what Liverpool is going to turn up against Leeds next week? Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, I think you're absolutely bang on, right? Uh, Ed's bet's bang on with that. I think, I think, and I think talking about a confidence thing yet again, it's someone like a Jude Bellingham. It's a 19 year old wonder kid with all the confidence in the world who steps into a dressing room like that, and and it's that's it, they're the, they're why marquee signings are, 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 are vital to lift the rest of the team to get somebody. You know, is Mason Mount going to go in and 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 and? And pull up that team by its bootstraps. I don't think so. Let's be honest with you. So it's exactly what Beth said. I mean, and it's it's just another frustration of why they they don't see that, or don't or, or are not willing to accept it anyway as part of a business model to go. Let's just fix this team. I know one person isn't a fixer. Get that. We have to. We just have to get more players in as well as that. But that is a perfect example of of, of how close this Liverpool team are. Yes, they're tired. You know. Um, uh, Fabinho played 59 games last season. Liverpool uh, collectively played 65 every possible game you can. There's no doubt there's a fatigue there. But we don't want to see Hendo fighting with Alisson, do we? It's very much arguing on the pitch with each other, starting to niggle each other. Um, you don't want to see that because that's not what Liverpool are about. But it's that frustration where you can almost see themselves, can't you, Red? That they're, they're so frustrated that they're not that something isn't quite clicking. But for me, the only thing that's going to turn that around is a, is a, a big world-class marquee signing that, that go. I mean, you know, I don't want to 
talk about Manchester United on this podcast, but they were getting hammered by Brighton and Brentford and you know last season. Well, they get Casemiro, they get players in. They cost a lot of money. But as apart from his his his, his red cards and stuff, that fella has pulled that team together. He's he's been a he's been a central force in that team. And that might that are different because they were always a good squad, Man United. They just weren't doing it properly because they had little tiny key things missing. And I think they did that. But they paid, you know, the Glazers. Nobody likes the Glazers in Manchester, but they, they open their wallets. They can't, no one can deny that. It might be the bank's wallets, but they open it. And they get players in to fix a problem. And I think that's the frustrating thing with us, because Beth's just absolutely nailed it. You walk in that dressing room and you've got a young kid who's who's a, who's like Steven Gerrard, the closest player to Gerrard I've seen. You know, you can't fail but to be but to be lifted by all that. At the moment, there's no one there to really do it, is there? Yeah, well, I mean, just firstly on that on that um, Allison and Henderson little scrap, I, I didn't really mind seeing that to be honest. You know, it, it, it you know it reminded me of I can't remember who was having a go at for the life of me, but Jamie Carragher once went absolutely mental. We had a the, we were we conceded a corner. It might have been um, Arbeloa. He had a massive go at him, and it, it just reminded me of that. You know, Henderson's the captain. If him and Allison, Allison's been our best player this season. If they want to have a little tiff on the pitch and show a bit of passion, you know, is what it is. That's it. It's part of the game, and at least it shows they're bothered. But on that marquee signing stuff, it's it's all going to come down to who they do get in instead in this summer. You know, if if they go out and get Mason Mount, Connor Gallagher, and I don't know Mateus Nunes, let's say. I, I don't know about the dressing room, but in the ground, it's just going to be a bit deflated. You know, I mean. God help whoever Liverpool do sign in the midfield this summer, because when they when they get gets announced and tweeted out by the club, all the replies it's just going to be oh it's not Bellingham. Everyone's just going to be feeling a bit disappointed by whoever we sign now. I mean, it, I, I'm not sure if I'd mind Mount. I think he'd be all right. I'd, I wouldn't really like Conor Gallagher. I'm not, I'm not sure about that Nunes. I'd, I think I'd probably like a slot further afield in the Premier League, but. It's, who else are they going to bring in that's going to bring that that bounce not only into the changing room but mainly sort of to the stands because the the, the atmosphere has not been as good this season it it just hasn't and a part of that is because the team isn't playing as well but you know these things sort of go together like like we said earlier it's sort of a bit of a chicken and egg situation so yeah but they're not going to be getting Bellingham in, it looks like but that that doesn't mean they couldn't still make you know a, a big name signing for plenty of money who might bring a bit a bit of bounce into that changing room depending on on who it is they might bring experience might bring youth we don't know yet but it's going to be an interesting summer because they're certainly given their give what they're giving up and how much they've sort of teased fans with Bellingham they're going to have to go out now and get some really really good midfielders in yeah, I mean, I was saying to me, my kids were all the way through this whole saga. And my kids were saying, what you that? And I was saying, this is the Liverpool way. They keep quiet. They get the business done. Well, that might have been the case up until a couple of seasons, up until last season. But it, 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 it unless, do you know what? This could be a, a, this could be a tactical masterclass and it could be that he is coming and it could be that they're working something else. It doesn't feel like that. And I don't know why Liverpool or Klopp would put themselves through the stick again if it was some sort of, you know, masterstroke at a transfer but it just seems to me that uh, like Beth said earlier or like you said you know getting not getting a Ferrari but getting three for your punto second hand I mean that's the problem if you buy three I mean Paulinho at Fulham looks like a good solid player as well to me they look like good solid players McAllister look like good solid players I just don't believe that they would walk in a dressing room 
and, and do something the way that the way Bellingham could because I think he knows he can do it with his feet. He knows he's world class, and 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 that would have been the big difference to me. Of course, talking about players coming back who have been making a difference, who everyone's looking forward to. One of the you know one of the um, one of the lights on the horizon, if you like, Beth is uh, is uh, Diaz Luis Diaz coming back. I don't know. Look, I mean the thing is about him as well. He's been injured and then he. The injury collapsed, didn't it? And he he got injured. So he's he's took a long time out. He's a speed player. He relies on twists and turns. So when we're going to see him at full throttle, we don't know um, if he's going to make the bench at Leeds. Our next six games are Leeds away, Forest at home, West Ham away, Spurs at home, uh, and then Fulham uh, uh, at home as well. I think we've got three on the bounce. I think Brentford's at home as well. I mean, they're all on paper. Their games with us just. So it's a laughter a couple of seasons ago. We've been going like, yeah, tick, 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 tick. Not one of them, particularly if they need them at 10 o'clock, because we can't win that early in the morning anyway. Well, Ed, you've got to look at that and say that some there's some games there that we, but, but we can win, but it's so difficult to read this side now, particularly away from home, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's a bit... It's it's a bit of a funny one, really, isn't it? Because like you, what you just said there, you'd be looking at that a couple of seasons ago and, and thinking, oh, it will take. I I I I literally heard you say that and sort of still had last season's head on. Oh, we'll win all them. We'll beat we'll beat all yeah. them, including Spurs. Because for the life of me, I can't remember the last time we played Spurs and you know really needed something and they they've pulled it out the bag against us. Apart from last season when they got that draw against us and Kane should have been sent off and all that nonsense and that penalty. But yeah. <laughs> It's it's such a weird end to the season now. I'm not. Are we really that bothered for any of these games? There's nothing to really get up for, even though we've nothing to play for. If we still had a United or an Everton on the horizon, it'd be like, oh yeah, we'll we can look forward to that. That's that could be our cup final for the rest of the season, and then we'll go into the next. But yeah, it, it's going to be a weird end to the season. No real big fixtures left beside that that Spurs one and. I mean, there's a chance maybe we'll be playing to cost them top four, but I don't think we're going to be playing for us to get in there. That, that's, I mean, for, I think everyone agrees that's that's pretty much done now. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a really weird end to the season. It's gonna be the first time in a while that Liverpool have got nothing to play for coming down to the the real business end of the season. And it's probably just going to sort of drudge along a little bit, isn't it? Really, it is. And Beth, if that wasn't an absolute slap in the face for owners of this club. Not that I think they care that much, I've got to be honest with you. But if that, what, what, what Ed's just said about the fact that, you know, with nine, eight, nine, ten games left, whatever we've got left, that there's nothing to play for for this team. That is a huge slap in the face, isn't it? it it's a huge grab by the collars and shake, isn't it? Because that's their fault. Completely and utterly their fault. Because they took something, as I said earlier on, on other podcasts, it's, it, it, look, they can be forgiven. Klopp can be forgiven to a certain point with being loyal with the team he had. That almost won the quad, that beat City in, uh, with loads of energy and stuff in the in the uh, Chelsea Shield before the season starts. They could all be forgiven for thinking well, we're only going to be tinkering here. We only need to tinker. We don't need to. But what is inexcusable is when the boat got a hole in it, they just stuck their hands over it while it was sinking. That's the problem with me. That's that is the inexcusable thing for me. It's all like saying, well, I, I didn't know Fabinho would forget how to play football. I don't know, but it was just an accumulative effect, a perfect storm, wasn't it? But it all generated Beth by the first game, Fulham, the Paulinho ran it, and we looked terrible, so mm -hmm. slow and so lethargic. And then we kept saying, well, we'll be all right, we'll get one. But this whole win one game, draw three, lose three kind of thing, it's been indicative of of what they've done, isn't it? It's 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 the ripple effect of of being tight 
of being um, uh, unambitious and ultimately of not really caring much about the club and its fan base. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, and it, I think as well, the, the slightly baffling thing is it, it doesn't make sense from a business perspective, sort of the approach that they're taking now. You know, they brought, bought the club for, what, a few hundred million. It's now valued at around three billion. So they've already recouped the money and then some um, in terms of, in terms of you know, the, the outlay that they, they spent and, and where the club's at now. And you think if, they, if they're not going to leave, if they are committed to staying at the club, but they don't invest and they don't try and you know, throw the throw everything they can at, at trying to get the club back to the top table, then they're actually gonna gonna lose a hell of a lot of money. You know, we've we've heard that they're looking for outside investment, whether that in, in the future turns into them actually wanting to sell the club in general. You know, Liverpool are a very attractive prospect, certainly last summer. Um even at the minute, you know, they're you know they're not in vast amounts of debt. They've got a, a fantastic world class manager, they've got a number of world class players. However, if the if the squad continues to stagnate in the way that it is, and Liverpool find themselves sort of back to mid-table mediocrity, battling it out for, you know, sixth or seventh, and, and viewing top four as as the biggest success, then all of a sudden that three billion price tag that Liverpool currently have is going to just decline and decline and decline. So from from their point of view, I would have thought it would make more sense to to splash a little bit of money now to help them get back to to the very top and. In the long term, I think that would make Liverpool far more attractive as, as an asset, as a sellable asset. So it, it's a bit of a weird one. And I think as well, from, from a recruitment point of view, Liverpool have to decide what route they want to go down. You know, if they're not going to splash the big cash on these world-class players, then they have to be a bit smarter. You know, you look at what Brighton have done, some of the players that they've brought in, you know, um, Caicedo at the minute, obviously been linked with Liverpool, fee-muted around sort of, 70 million they, they bought him in for for buttons really in today's market Kerry Matoma as well they bought him for a couple of million and now he could go for you know upwards of 40 million so Liverpool need to if they're not going to spend money on the Jubeliums they, they need to to be better at scouting they need to they need to find these diamonds in the rough and and you know coach them to be world-class players you know even Manchester City for all I know that they've splashed the cash over the years you know They've had quite a lot of, of success going into the South American market. You bring, you know, bring in, you know, Julian Alvarez, which in today's market wasn't a, a huge fee, and Gabriel Jesus, and you think and Gabriel Martinelli at Arsenal, you know, these players are out there, but it sort of seems that Liverpool aren't going down that route, but they're equally not going down the route of buying sort of a ready-made superstar. So it's sort of somewhere in between. And I think they're at a bit of a crossroads, really. They've got to decide, do we want to be a bit smarter and, and bring in these cheaper players and coach them up to being world-class? Or do we want to, you know, go all out and bring in these these superstar players? Because I, I don't think they really know what they're doing. And I think that's the, the worrying thing is that, you know, if, if it continues in the same vein as it has this season in terms of transfers and bringing players in, it doesn't bode well for, for the future of the club. No, absolutely not. I think it was just over three hundred million he bought the club for, mm. and, then he, and then you can talk about investments into the stands and stuff, which is fantastic. But it's a lot cheaper than it would have been if they had to buy a stadium. So you know, there's been a lot of money they made there. Whether they say they don't take any out the club, they're all put, they're all being ploughed back into the club. You know, the 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 winnings alone with the Champions League and with the Premiership was, I think it was a quarter of a billion or something. It was a lot of money won. And to take your foot off the pedal the ped like that is, like Beth said, it's just it's just bad business, isn't it? Look, we've got Leeds first uh, away from home. You know what Leeds are like. Um, they can come at you. They will run at you. They'll play football with you. Um, 
Any predictions, Ed? It's a tough one, this, because I I, I, don't, I used to have a rule with because I'm, I'm I'm from Leeds. I used to have a rule with mates. I just never bet on Leeds because I just never know what they're going to do. And what they got battered five one against Palace last weekend. Who who knows? I I'm going to say three one Liverpool, but could be anything. And let's hope there's no penalties or you know, or somebody takes them off Salah anyway. He's got to get one soon. But Blamey's high wide and handsome at the moment. Beth, what do you think? Leeds away from home always tough because they come at you. Yeah, again, hard to predict. I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool just because don't want to go against the lads. But yeah, it's going to be a tough game and they'll obviously be looking to bounce back from that awful result. You wonder actually if the fact that now top four is gone, it's almost like the shackles could be off for Liverpool and maybe they that they don't feel the pressure as much as, as the Leeds and the Nottingham Forest who have stuff to play for and might play better or could work the complete opposite way in the sense they don't want it as much. So they... They get absolutely hammered, so who knows? But I'm going 2-1, 2-1 Liverpool. Yeah, you've both gone for conceding a goal, which tells tells <laughs> us what we're all feeling at the moment. I don't think I could go uh, with goalers because they have got a threat. Bamford's uh, a threat. And we've got that new sign, that French kid on the wing, who's, who's, who's a phenomenal little player. Can't think of his name, but he's brilliant. Um, yeah, and I'll probably go for a, I'll go for a 2-1, sneaky one, I think, only because, you know, heart ruling head there, I would imagine. Um but, uh, and possibly Forrest at home next match. Rumours that it could be Stephen Gerrard in charge of Forrest, but we'll leave that to another podcast. Uh, there's possibilities he's being lined up. Well, it's clear, isn't it? I mean, I think we all feel the same way, um, Beth and Ed and me and pretty much every Liverpool fan in the country stroke world at the moment. Frustration and a little bit of anger and a little bit of this club deserves better and, uh, and should be treated with a bit more respect. And let's hope we're all completely sideswiped over the next week and he turns up and... <laughs> white charger and everything's all right but I doubt it very much as I say he's more likely to turn up with a second hand for your punto uh, Beth thank you so much it's been lovely again having you on really appreciate it no thank you for having me anytime and Ed thank you pal appreciate it and you, are you be watching that with your mates in the pub in Leeds somewhere or be, or be behind your fingers on a couch I will be working sadly <laughs> ah, not a bad thing maybe maybe just for when we've won phone and we give them some stick uh, thank you very much you two uh, okay once again thank you for listening to uh, Poetry in Motion uh, we, things can only get better can't we have we do have a complaint there are teams in much worse positions than we are we know that but you know it's just a frustrating thing because we've raised the bar to a level that we just we need to keep up doing and it just feels like we're being let down slightly uh, anyway thank you for listening to uh, Poetry in Motion and we'll catch you again on the next one soon You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.